hit whatever you hit. <laughs> but what I know is that uh, there's a divine appointment here for you. When you walk with Jesus, you're going to have like myriads of encounters that are not only for you, but they're through you. That you're going you're gonna to arrive somewhere and it'll be for such a time as this. So I know for 100% that I'm going to speak to you and that the words are going to pour forth life and someone is going to receive this morning because the Christian life is receiving and giving. It's not giving and receiving. It's receiving and giving. Of his fullness have we all received. I've been the beneficiary of God's goodness in so many ways. I can't even count it all, but I'll give you just a taste. Um, I've been a Christian this year's 51 years that I've been that I've known Christ. Christ burst into my life when I was 18 years old, a freshman at Mississippi College, enrolled to play football there. And he came in transformatively. I called upon the name of the Lord, and I met a God who does miracles because he changed my life, like crazy changed my life. And then shortly after that, he gave me what had been the desire of my heart, which is the favor of this young woman to love me. And uh, literally... Two months after I was converted, uh, we became a couple in terms of, okay, we're going to spend our life together. And uh, she and I, are, are, we are in our 50th year. We, we had our 49th anniversary, so you know that means you enter your 50th year. That means you're in the Jubilee. <laughs> so you guys are on the Jubilee tour. <laughs> Because we're, we're on like a 4,000-mile road trip where we're going to go to churches just like this in four different states um, and have the opportunity just to talk about Jesus and talk about life and, and see what God might do in and through us. And so, yeah, it's a jubilee tour, and I'm, I'm just thrilled that, that uh, this time next year we'll celebrate our 50th. And so she was 18 and I was 19 when we got married. And uh, I highly recommend it. <laughs> right? And we got married before we knew what we were doing. So we had to find out together what it was we were doing. And, and God has been good to us. We have uh, three children. We have eight grandchildren. And we have a great-grandson and a great-granddaughter on the way. How about that? So, and my mother's still living. So there's five generations in my family, and we're having, we're having, it's glory. Then we, we, we've been in, we were in pastoral ministry 46 years. We've been in, we've been in the ministry now 48 years. And I'm telling you, it, some of it's gory, but it, even the gory is glory. So we go from gory to glory. Changed it a little bit. 
but the Lord has brought us through everything. And uh, so we stand here before you. And I'm going to preach out of my experience. May I? I'm going to preach out of the, out of, because listen, you get grace for today. And I've been getting grace for my todays. And I want you to know that when you relinquish your church, which I did two years ago, the transition of leaving, and, and in my case, I did leave. Uh, I turned it over, turned my church over to a, a young man named Paul Martini, and, and we left town. I think I've been in, been in church maybe a dozen times in the two years since, since we left. And I will tell you, that's like the hardest transition I've ever gone through. There's a lot of things that were, that were hard, but nothing like that. So out of that came this message that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Everything for me is that you know God meets me, and I, and I receive what I need for the moment. So today we're going to talk about the, when the sacrifice lives. I, I meditated on this and this, this passage burst up into my heart. It's a common passage. It's a common passage about uh, living the Christian life. And, and preachers preach this all the time. I believe that I have a little bit of light on this so that it won't just be, well, we know that story. But it'll be, okay, let's learn it again. Like when you read the scripture, you, you read it again for the first time. So I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. The passage about the living sacrifice. Paul writes in the latter part of his long treatise to the Roman church, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, and it says, the word there is logical, reasonable, and of course these translators say spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect every college student comes to some spiritual leader at some point and say i'm trying to find god's will for my life like you know somehow we're like oh well we've got that for you boom listen and what we do is, you know, everybody wants to, like, they want to get on track. I want to get on track with the ideal. And I want to, and I want to, I don't want to miss it. And we're all afraid that we take the wrong step in the beginning, that we'll spend years wandering in the wilderness. God isn't like that. I tell them all the time, God isn't like that. The will of God is not like a narrow stream that you have to stay inside the banks. The will of God is an ocean. Dive in and swim. And I tell people, look, what you really want to know is, you want to know uh, what is his assignment for me. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to discover your assi- his assignment as you give yourself to him. 
you don't have the assignment that, like, I mean, you get some things. Like, I got an assignment when, when he saved me. I got an assignment when I married this woman. I'm like, okay, I, this is my assignment. I got one little sheep. I got to see to it that she gets home safe. This is, this is my assignment. And when I married her, I prayed and the Lord gave me some insight. I said, Lord, I don't know how to be married. So I read over there in the scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. I'm like, that sounds good. I can do that. And then it says, as Christ loved the church. And I went, well, that's hard because, listen, when I, was a, when I was a kid uh, and I got radically converted, I was like, most people are nowadays. I was like, no, the church is a bad place. I've seen those people. They're, they're uptight. They're, they're, they're religious. They're a mess. And, and, and the Lord literally said to me, you will not be able to love your wife until you know how I love mine. And I was like, all right. Assignment number one, I got to go to the church. Because I was like, was like one of those unchurched Christians that went and, got, went and tasted sermons, but didn't commit to anything. Husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. So I said, okay, I'll love the church. Now listen, that has been my assignment Lo, these 50 years. (laughs) Guess what I know? That was the will of God. That was tested and proven. That was the will of God. And so I said, said, okay, I'll change my mind about the church, but I ain't going to get that involved. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I was like, say what? And I got next part of my assignment, that my assignment was to love my wife the way Christ loved his wife, and that I was to give myself up for his wife. That's how, listen, literally how my call to ministry got solidified. I was in the word of God. And I said, all right, I can do that. But Lord, the church is a mess. Husbands, love your wife, said Christ, loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her with water and the word. Now, I want you to know something. In those days, I understood how the church needed washing. I wasn't so sure about my wife. She was good. And yet, I've spent all these years as a person of this word, proclaiming this word over the people of God and it, and it washes people as they receive it. And lo, my wife began to say how her life was getting changed by the word. Well, I thought she was pretty good anyway. And so I had an assignment. Now this text, it says you got to prove what the will of God is. You got to You'll, you'll know it. So I tell people all the time, I, look, the will of God is this step right here. And the reason you don't get the will of God for the big assignment is because when he gives you a step, you go, you take a side step. And, and God says, no, 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 just take a step. 
And so listen, right here, sitting right here in this room, is people who have had a step that God's lined out for you, and you've done this. Today, you're not going to do this. You're going to get that thing. He's going to quicken it in your mind, and you're going to do it. Now, I hadn't even started preaching yet, <laughs> just so you know. Okay. So, so, so it's up there in the back. Hallelujah. Yeah, there it is, there it is, there it is. (laughs) She's here for me. She's like, I know your sermon, and it's not up there on that screen. you got to get that thing up there on that screen. Now look, here's what it says. Here's here's what your assignment is in that text. Present your bodies. Now do you get this? Your body. Christianity is a weird religion because it's all about bodies. We think it's, it's really about bodies a lot. Uh, the, the, the old Greeks in their philosophy, they thought the body was evil, and the best thing that could happen is when you leave the body. And they, they were all about the immortal soul, but they were not about the, the mortal body, and they felt it was evil and the seed of evil. And Christians, being in the Hebrew tradition, we know that God created us and said, it's good. Now God says to you, Present your good body as a living sacrifice. Oh, that's messed up. Now, wait a second. That's messed up. A living sacrifice. You do know that in the Bible, sacrifices are dead. (laughs) They don't... (laughs) Sacrifices, they they die. They, They go to the temple to die and be consumed. But you and I are told, no, you're going to be a living sacrifice. So I got thinking on this thing, and I, I, have, I have all these crazy things that happen in my mind, so can I take you on a little crazy journey with me, just a little bit? And some of this I've already infected Zach with a little bit, because he and I have talked about the temple an awful lot. Well, the place I'm going to start is not quite the temple, but you're going to see that it's kind of the temple. Because we're going to go to the baptism. The baptism of spirit and fire. In Luke's gospel, he says, um, it says, As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning their hearts, concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And John answered them and said, I'm baptizing you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Get hold of that. Get hold of that. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now this is a Holy Ghost church, so I, I know you guys already know what that is. But how many of you know that after you know something, you can know it again? And get hold of it. And then it says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather wheat into the barn. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now let me just tell you something. That verse 17 is about the judgment and then the fires of judgment. But that's not the baptism of fire. Because that judgment is what will happen to those who reject. This is called the chaff. This is not the wheat. 
But you and I, we're, we're the wheat crop. And so there's a baptism that he said was coming. One with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I've just meditated on that so much. Because, like, baptism of the Holy Spirit, come on, we're Pentecostal charismatics. We know what the baptism of the Holy Ghost is. The Holy Spirit comes upon you with power, and you speak in tongues, and you prophesy, and you cast out devils, and you, and you do all the things that are, that are in the Scripture because, because a, a baptism of power has come upon you and changed you. By the way, the problem with being charismatic is that you live so close to those claims that those realities often elude you. So I'm here to provoke you back into the realities and to say to you that you're supposed to lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. You're supposed to cast out demons. You're supposed to have words of prophecy. You're supposed to pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah, I pray in the Spirit more, more than I pray with my mind. I absolutely do. I, 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 I like love praying in the Spirit because I can do almost anything else and, and pray in the Spirit. I love praying in the Spirit because uh, my prayers sound dumb to me. <laughs> Telling God what to do. <laughs> are, are you kidding me? So, all right, this text is context, all right? I'm, I'm coming back to the living sacrifice. Th this text is context. And then I want to give you the fulfillment of the John passage. It's in Acts chapter 2. And you say, you see I have that little phrase on there. Is this that? Is this that? Well, there's a part of the, in Acts chapter 2 where he says, this is that which Joel prophesied. But I'm asking is this that which John prophesied? And I'm going to say it is. Look what happened. When the day of Pentecost, that was two weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost. You guys celebrate Pentecost when it comes? Because I like to go and... There, there's certain holy days of the year that, that I love to celebrate. And I got to, I got to preach on Pentecost Sunday. So, so I threw a fit on that. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, the place where they were. By the way, we don't really know where they were. We like to think, we, we often think it's upper room, but listen, it's 120 people. They're, we don't have that many houses like that around here. House could mean that they were actually gathered in the temple for prayer. And I have a preference for believing that they were somewhere in the temple as a gathered crowd praying and seeking the Lord. And there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now this is a, this is a phenomenon that I I like to, like I, I, this one I like I like are you now let me tell you how things are in the Bible when when God does a thing in the Bible half the time when He does it most of the people around it don't see it when when Jesus went into the water. 
to be baptized? John said, I saw the Spirit on him like a dove. Nobody else saw it. John saw it. When the, when, when the voice came from heaven, some said, it thundered. Others said, no, it's a voice. So what I'm telling you about is the phenomenology of the Spirit. You think when it happens, it proves everything. No, it doesn't, because half the people say it happened, the other half of the people say it didn't happen. And on the day of Pentecost, they all said, these people are all drunk. And, and they said, no, it's too early for that. I always love that in the Baptist church. I always love to, I always love to touch that one. Anyway, I won't do it. I won't, I won't press it on you. But this is like, so you, you've seen fire dance and the tongues of fire dance, right? And so what I'm saying is here was an assembly of people and the wind rushed in upon them like it had on David when David was anointed. And now the fire dances on them. On their heads. What a scene. And you go, well, what was happening? Well, it's not hard for us to go back to, it's not hard for us to go back to uh, John the Baptist and say, oh, this is what he meant by baptism of the spirit and fire. See, this fire was not a fire of judgment. This is like... You better hope the baptism of fire is not just, is not just a fire of judgment because sometimes you pray for people and you say, fire, fire. And you're not praying for them to be judged. <laughs> you're praying for them to burn. You're praying for them to, to have a, a burning fire upon them. <laughs> so, so the man, I started talking about this with some of my pastor friends that I confer with online and man, you can't believe I love to get in a group of pastors. They're all crazy. <laughs> and and one, one of those pastors said, here's, here's what the baptism of fire is. You know you've had the baptism of fire when, when your eros is consumed by agape. <laughs> and I was like, well, I ain't going to argue with that. I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but I ain't going to argue with it. So, so this is one thing we know that this is. But I want to suggest to you that there was something else that this signified. Because you see, well, let's look at it. Let's look at the next text first, and then I'll, then I'll explain it a little bit more. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 7, the original temple. The original temple. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, remember Solomon, he builds the temple and he prays the dedicatory prayer and fire came from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Hallelujah. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good and His steadfast love, His chesed, endures forever. His covenant love endures forever. Now, okay, so this was the first temple. 
This was the dedication of the first temple. When the temple was dedicated, at the prayer, the fire of God came and consumed the sacrifice. And the glory of God filled the temple. Now, if you know Israel's history, here's what you know. That temple was eventually destroyed. And then they were commissioned, and, and it begins under um, uh, Zerubbabel, and then it goes on under Ezra, and then Nehemiah builds the walls. And so they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the walls, and without any question, they would have dedicated the temple. They certainly dedicated and consecrated themselves, as you see in the writings of Nehemiah. But guess what? There was no fire and no glory. And in the second temple era, the rabbis would grieve because the glory was departing. And they would grieve because, look, there's no holy, there's no, uh, there's no Ark of the Covenant. These sacred things were lost and gone. There was no, there was no uncreated life manifested by fire on that house. And they literally would talk about the ways in which the temple of their time was a lesser place than the temple of the previous time. And then along came the prophecy that the glory of the latter house shall exceed the glory of the former house. So they have a word inside themselves. And so literally during the time of Jesus... During the time of Jesus, he was, uh, the, the, the rabbis were expecting the return of Yahweh to the temple. They knew that, that they needed, that they had come out of captivity, but they knew that the glory of God had not come back to the house. Are you all following me? Is this, is this too much for a Sunday morning? My wife sometimes says, don't you go all egghead on them. So I, <laughs> you, you following me? Because Jesus, in his ministry, constantly talked about the temple. He comes in and he cleanses the temple. And if we read our Gospels right, it appears he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry and then again at the end of his ministry. He cleanses the temple. He offends them by telling them that if the temple, you destroy this house and in three days he'll build it again. He offends them uh, so much constantly about the temple that they brought that up at his trial and used it as an accusation against him. Then, in, in 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 addition to that, the disciples come to him And they say, look at this place, isn't it glorious? And Jesus says, there won't be one stone left on another. And he tells them about the destruction that was coming of this place. An unfathomable thing. It's a good thing he didn't give that message in the presence of all those. Although, at the time he's giving that message, it's on the cusp of his self-sacrifice. Ah, self-sacrifice. 
That's what Romans 12 is about. Self-sacrifice. The one who made himself of no reputation. The one who humbled himself in the form of a servant. The one who having humbled himself, relinquishing his rights, his royal rights, laying down his rights, ultimately will become obedient even unto death, even to death on the cross. So that whereas the first Adam disobeyed and lost his inheritance, the last Adam obeys even unto death. Drinking the cup that no man could drink, but who after him, his followers would be called on to follow him even in that, to drink the cup that he had drank. But something was happening here. Jesus was redefining temple. Jesus was taking temple away from the stone and mortar, away from the magnificent structure of a location, and he was embodying temple. A whole new definition. And his followers would have to pick up on this. It would be hard for them to pick up on, but they would have to. Because the center of their life was not going to be the stone and mortar and the rituals of the temple. The essence of their life was going to be the fire and glory. And so what was literally happening, if I may propose it to you, what was literally happening on the day of Pentecost was... It was the fire of God come from heaven to once again consume the sacrifice on the altar. And the sacrifice on the altar was the 120 which would soon become 3,000. And that 3,000 would become bread for the nations. I sometimes talk about the pastoral call. And I say being a pastor is like being a loaf of bread in a pool of minnows. Nobody's going to swallow you whole, but everybody's going to take a bite. <laughs> but that's what we're for. That's what our life is. Our life is bread for the world. That's what we are. We're the living sacrifice. That's what you are now. It's not just a priestly thing. The whole body of Christ, we are a royal priesthood. We are a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek who sat on the right hand of the throne of God, Psalm 110. We are a royal priesthood of a, of a people that we are given so that the world can eat. So that the world can receive. Now, this is important for me because here's how the Lord ministered to me. When I gave up my church, man, I was in pain. Like a lot of pain. It was the, uh, I, I, I stewarded my church through 2020 and through the first half of 2021. And I, I was, my church was in a place, a lot of churches, I, my staff needed rebuilding. 
The church needed rebuilding. And I was now in my later 60s, 67 years old. And I was like, Lord, what's happening? He was very clear with me that it was time for me to turn that work over to a younger man with who had the fire in him. But when I did it, it was like I was a mess. I'm going to be honest with you, I was a mess. I was such a mess, my wife made an appointment for me and sent me to a Christian counselor. <laughs> you know, she just did one of these things, you're going. So I went to that counselor, and I'm sitting there, man, and I'm in terrible shape. I'm like, in, I'm like bad shape. And he says, he says, well, preacher, is your identity wrapped up in your work? And I'm like, no, my identity's in Jesus. I know who I am in Christ. <laughs> Two weeks later, I went back and said, hey, listen, I lied to you. <laughs> and then I was on my way to getting the hole because I was able to say, oh, yeah, it's way wrapped up in my work. And it took me a long time seeking the Lord. And the Lord said, living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Because listen, I thought I died. Like, which is, by the way, the point. <laughs> and and suddenly, he lit it up in my spirit. When you served me in that church, your life was a living sacrifice. And I accepted it. And it's over. Well, Lord, what's your will now? Present your body, old man. Oh, wait, didn't we do that already? <laughs> what did I say in the beginning when I started preaching to you? And of his fullness, we've all received grace on grace. And the grace that I got as an 18-year-old receiving my assignment was a different grace than the grace that I got as a 67-year-old man relinquishing my assignment. And the Lord saying, are you... Are you dead? I'm like, kind of. <laughs> and he spoke to me again about the living sacrifice. And put this message in my heart that you're still alive and now present this life in this era, in this time, living sacrifice. So I asked the question, where do we find such an image? This image of the living sacrifice. And lickety split, y'all know that word? Y'all have that word in Missouri. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me out of Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Watch it. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And I began to weep loudly 
because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Listen, this crazy image, standing as if he had been slain. A living sacrifice eternal in the heavens. The uncreated God who became one of us and took on created flesh. The uncreated God who became one with created humanity. A lamb. The one John who said, Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And then here is John the apostle viewing him, the one he knew. The one whose bosom he had laid in his bosom and now here he is, a living sacrifice. Eternally a living sacrifice. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirit of God, spirits of God, listen, sent into all the earth. Meaning, this living one, his power, his presence is still sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And this is the glory of God. And just as I was commissioned <laughs> as a 19-year-old kid who wanted to marry the love of my life, he commissioned me again as an old man. You know, John, the apostle himself, had a recommissioning. You find him in the book of Revelation. And there's two scenes about him that are in that book that I find dynamic for this moment. The first one is the first scene where John, who knew Jesus more intimately, at least he wants us to believe, of the disciple that he loves, more intimately than any man who has the revelation of the risen Christ and this one that he knew so intimately, when he sees him now in his unveiled glory, falls down on his face as if he is dead. And the Lord has to reach down and touch him and raise him back up. That image has always struck with me for the fact that the more you know of Jesus, the more glorious he becomes. The more intimately acquainted with him, the more awesome he will be. We need that awesome revelation of the living one. And then John, who we all believe now was at the time of writing this writing, was a much older man, maybe even a very old man. He is later commissioned in the book of Revelation where he's told he has to eat a scroll, sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach, and he's sent to go and talk to priests and kings. He's sent to go and minister to people all over the earth. And I'm like... Ooh, let's have a Jubilee tour. <laughs> let's go again. And so this is what I'm here to bring to you. Romans 12, chapter 1. I'll read it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is my closing admonition holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship, which is, hey, preacher, hey, Alan, this is the only thing you can do, knucklehead. 
Present yourself again. And don't be conformed to the world. Like with thoughts of, my life is over. I'm all washed up. It's all done. Or with the thoughts that are going on in the world today. Listen, people need folks that, that have had their minds transformed. You can't get your mind right till you get your body right. That's what it says here. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you can test and discern what the will of God is, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the new act of closing your Bible. (laughs) To give everybody a breath. And to say, yes, I am indeed done. And he is just beginning. And today is the day. Today is the new day. Today is the day that each one of us here presents ourselves to him. Would you stand together? Even as a means of in this first, or in this last moment of presenting yourself to him. A living, living sacrifice. I don't know what your traditions are, but I'm just going to mess them up today. Whatever they are. So, so listen, no one gets a pass this morning. I'm not manipulating you or telling you you have to come forward or anything like that. I, I don't really care. But, but you don't get a pass on this. I'm charging you in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Apostle Paul, whom he appointed as an apostle to the Gentiles. I see a few Gentiles. <laughs> Present your bodies. Young or old, male or female, present your bodies in your weakness or in your strength. And once again say, here I am, because you what you want. You want the fire to come, to come again. The fire and the water and the spirit to fill the house again. You see, this is the way that the glory of the house, the latter house exceeded the glory of the former house, was that by God's Spirit, rather than inhabiting stone buildings, He came to inhabit those things which are made without hands. The temple of our bodies. And so that literally the Holy of Holies goes to every nation that place of residence where he has made himself one with you what I want you to do is to be conscious of it again preacher is your identity wrapped up in your work yes sir it was what are you going to do about it See when you're when you're wrapped up in something like that, it's the same as that's your reputation. And you come to the Jesus who made himself of no reputation. And you say, I can do what my Lord did. So just now, make a transaction. Tell him again today, Jesus, today. I present my body 
sacrifice. It's the only reasonable thing I can do. And receive a renewed mind. The world can't put you in its mold. The world can't tell you who you are. God of heaven has breathed upon you again. So I end where I began. You have an assignment. You know what it is. What's the next step? It comes to you clearly when you're under the To the sun of the day, it kind of fades even by the time the afternoon is over. So I want to challenge you to do this. You have your assignment. Sometime today, before this day is over, you're going to tell someone, I felt like the Spirit spoke to me in church today. He gave me my assignment. And I just want somebody to know. of God and I have the power to bless and when I bless the blessing remains and so I say to you this day you are not cursed you are blessed our Lord took the curse for every person so that every person can walk in the fullness of who he is so I can say with the priests of old, may the Lord Jesus bless you. May he keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace that no man can take away. Shalom, shalom. In the name of Jesus, even Yeshua, our King, our Lord, the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. And with these words, I bless you. And then I say, if you want to come for prayer, please come. Uh, these pastors and my wife and myself, we will pray for you. Please come. Please come. If you want a breakthrough, please come. And then those of you who don't need this, you can just please feel free to get your children and, and move on with your day or Hug one another and love one another. Hallelujah. Jonathan. Hallelujah.